Did you know that's not true? I did give it to Steve on Monday, but it hasn't filtered through to the bulletin. So I t now tell you um, um, what I hope to share with you this morning. The t the I've given it a title. It's Jesus, the greatest life of all. That's what I'm going to say this morning. And I hope to just share in some simple ways three, three parts to that. To be found in Christ. See how Jesus' life brings us to a place we can be totally encompassed by all that God ever intended for you and for this world and for the universe. How we can be included in that. To be found in Christ. Number two, the next one is, and Rachel's already mentioned this in, in her word to us, her prayer this morning, is resting in Christ. Resting in Christ. Now, I do understand that there might be some people here who are unfamiliar with this sort of language and this sort of terminology um, and what that, what that means to be found in Christ and to be resting in Christ. But it's bringing out something which Andrea shared, how confident, how confident are we are about God and who he is. And I really want to bring out of these things is it's about Jesus, the greatest life, uh, how that relates to these situations. So resting in Christ... And lastly, abiding in Christ. Now, these, these are things which we find in the Bible as we read them, particularly in the New Testament, um, of experiences of the Christian life, of places that we can be spiritually, of understanding um, about God and who he is and what he ever intended. And uh, so I just wanted to bring out aspects of this. The first is abiding in Christ. Sorry, to be found in Christ. To be found in Christ. These words are actually found in a letter um, that were written by a Christian. His name, his name was Paul, and he was a very significant person working amongst the early churches, and he wrote a letter to this church in, in a place called Philippi. And um, he's talking about lots of things in this letter, how dangerous religious things can be and religious experiences can be keeping us from God. He also talks about his own testimony in that way, that it was actually religion that kept him from knowing the power of God in his life. Um, it might say about this man, Paul, that he was the official hitman for the Jewish religion. A bit like ISIS is today. Um, the cause is for God, they say, and so they'll do anything, anything like bringing people and torturing them and killing them in the name of God. This man, Paul, was no different, but it was in the name of Judaism, in the, in the name of the Jewish religion, if we like to say, or the Jewish life, that all we know about Jewishness. And he was a hitman. And there was a time in his life, he defend, he, his idea, his thinking was, um, I'm defending the cause of God. This Jesus is an imposter. He's not the real Messiah. He's not the promised Messiah. He's not, he's not the person he says he is. He's just an imposter and we don't want him here. 
And so he set out to cause misery for other people who'd become followers of Jesus, become Christians. He set out to bring them to book, as it were, and to make their lives a misery and even to death. That's what he was doing. And yet we find here that his testimony, he's relating in his testimony that things have changed since then. I'm now a person who's found in Christ. I've turned around from that. God met me. He changed my life. He met me when I was actually doing this business of getting people and trying to kill them. He met me on the road. And I was blind for a time, but he met me because he wanted to break into my life and just help me and to bring me to the place of what it really was all about. And so his testimony in these words, and if you've got your Bibles and you'd like to just to um, read these things, Philippians 3, 7 to 9. If you haven't, if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, just try and listen and take in what, what's being said. There's no rules here. We're all family. Just relax and be comfortable if you can. Philippians 3, and I'll read two verses which are marked 7 to 9. But whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, he was high up in the Jewish religion. He thought himself to be in the right place as far as God was concerned. He, he thought that was a gain for him. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss now for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's a change around, isn't it? For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, and this is the little bit, and be found in him, that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, in other words, not trying to work my way to heaven, not trying to please God by my things the way I see them and do them, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or from rules, if you like, that God gave, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that which comes through faith in Christ, simple belief in Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now I appreciate that might be a little bit difficult to understand for some people, but I just wanted to ask ourselves what, what changed him? Who set him free from that mindset, from that activity, from the lifestyle that he was living? Who set him free from that? And so the first point of Jesus, the greatest life, I want to see Jesus as the liberator. The one who can set us free. There are many people who would say, I wish I could give that up. I wish I wouldn't do that. I wish I'd, I just find myself saying that and I don't want to say it. I find I do these things, but I don't really want to do them. I have these thoughts and I don't want these thoughts. 
I'm not the person I really want to be or I feel I should be. And I think it was this same man who said, who's going to deliver me from this? Who's going to take me out of that? Who's going to change the situation for me? Who's going to help me? Who's going to make the difference? And I just want to say to you this morning, there's only one person who can set us free from that, and that's Jesus. He's what we might say. I just want to see this morning the glory of liberation in knowing Jesus. The one who can set us free. Of course, the main thing here this morning is that Jesus can set us free from ourselves. So what did Jesus set him from? He set him free from a warped idea of God's intention for his life. In short, the wrong idea about God, even though so close to the real thing. In this country, or indeed throughout the world, we can live so close to what we think is right and be so far away from it. But that's because that's the way we think. And I just want to say this morning that Jesus wants to liberate us for our own sake from the way that we think. He liberates us from a mindset which keeps us from God and from knowing that confidence that we can know in knowing Jesus. He wants to, he wants to deliver us from that. Sometimes personal ideas, sometimes and difficulties that we get through the historical church. So, in other words, we might look at the national church in our country or the, church, the way the church operates in America or in other places and we say, I'm so confused. Which one is right? How do I know which is the right way? And the point is this morning, Jesus, the greatest life of all, is the one who can only set us free and give us what we need to know, really. He's simply, he's simply a person. He is one who delivers, one who sets us free, one who brings us out of captivity into freedom. He's one who gets us out of the mess we're in and can bring us into a place of understanding and peace with God. The liberator. And there's nobody like him. He's unique. Because only he can do it. Jesus, the greatest life of all. I, um, oh, what's happening here? The aliens are coming, that's good. We're all fine help them, aren't we? When I was a little boy, my mum used to take me to the Baptist church in Canterbury. Uh, I'm just going down the line of impressions now and wrong ideas. And um, it was Saturday afternoon, we, these inter-church conferences, and um, I used to hate going because it's Saturday afternoon, it was playtime for me. And there was these horrible brown wooden benches which you had to sit on, which were so hard. And the backs were so hard. And just on the end of these wooden pews, if you like to call them that, there were little brass things on the end which were screwed to the wood. And I used to sit for 
hours looking at these hours. I say, what are they for? What are they for? And all of a sudden it flashed into mind, they're for people to be sick in. <laughs> no one had told me that. And I thought, that's the only reason they're there. I found out later they were for umbrellas. You, you pop them in there just to keep them. But as a child, you get wrong impressions. And sometimes in life, if we don't understand, if we're not taught what's right, we get the wrong impression. But the point is this morning, it's so easily, so easy to get the wrong impression about God. And this man, even though he was, he called himself a godly man, he had a warped idea of God's intention for his life. And this morning, it's so easy to have that impression as we look at the church, and we look at other people so-called doing Christian things, and we look at all sorts of Christian people, we can still have the wrong idea about God. I want to read to you um, a verse from the Old Testament which sort of summarises the way Jesus dealt with people and how he conveyed a message to them. And I would hope that we as a church here convey the same sort of message and I convey that same sort of message this morning to try and give you an idea of what Jesus liberates us into because he liberates us from the wrong ideas and the wrong intentions sometimes. So this is the verse. You're, some of the people here will know it quite well. I know the pl- this is God speaking through a prophet. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and plans to give you a future now can you see anything of religion in that I just see the heart of a bountiful God who loves people and wants to give to them the best. That plan, God has that plan for you this morning. He has that plan for you. So we might sit and say, oh, believe a load, Jesus, a load of old rubbish, believe all this thing. But you know what God has for each one is so, so amazing. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We see God addresses both negative and aspects and positive aspects of what he wants for his people. They're not to harm you. Isn't that amazing? Some people think that actually giving my life over to God and sharing the faith of Christians is, oh, well, God just wants to get his big stick out and sort of do my personality and my livelihood and my enjoyment, some sort of, give me some sort of punishment and uh, bring me into a regime which I just can't bear. But Jesus is liberator. He sets us free from that sort of thing. And let's get this heart of God through Jesus. God knows the plans he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. 
plans to give you a hope and a future. The hope is now and the hope is in the future. I'm talking about beyond death as well. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? Death is no problem to God. It's part of life. But because Jesus came and gave his life, he's destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And the writer writing those words also said that this is a point where people are held in fear all the days of their life. So God, through Jesus, he liberates us from this idea that death's a problem. It's not a problem to God because he gives us a hope and a future. Jesus is liberator. There's no one else can do that for us spiritually. Only Jesus. So that's the greatest life of all. So Paul was not only set free from a warped idea about his life and God's intention, he was set free from himself. It's strange how captive we can be to our own ideas and impressions. I've mentioned a couple of those. Jesus liberated this man from his wrong thinking, his spurious interpretation of God's way. And although he had the idea he was pleasing God, in what he was doing and what he was saying, he wasn't. He wasn't. And sometimes we feel we're right. Someone has said that a man's thoughts are his own worst enemy. And when I say man, I'm talking about women as well, but it's talking about mankind. Mankind's thoughts sometimes are his own worst enemy. So when we meet with Jesus, he not only sets us free from what is wrong and, and, and what should I say, it's not helpful. He brings us a place of understanding really what it's all about. And the last thing which we read, he was set free from trying to establish his own righteousness. What is righteousness here? I mean, simply now, it's the condition I need to be totally accepted by God. And we can't get that by doing it ourselves. God's favour cannot be won. So stop crying. But God's favour can be won just sitting in your chair now, saying to God, I see what Jesus has done for me. I understand it now. It was for me and only for me that he came and for the world and I receive him. I want Jesus to be my saviour. I want him to be my liberator. And it's at that point of faith, saying yes, that it's all turned around. It's all turned around because we've received what God provided. So we can't win God's favour. But this is what he said, and we were doing Romans a little while ago, and this comes out of there. And this is the man, same man speaking. He said, I was ignorant of the righteousness of God. I was ignorant of it. Are you this morning ignorant of what God wants and his righteousness? We don't have to know it, you can receive it. 
and being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their or my own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So whatever rules you set, whether they're made by God or whatever you make for self, we can't win that favour. It's a righteousness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And that's where Jesus liberates us too. He takes us out of our own righteousness and gives us, gives us his. And so his own testimony was this. Whatever gain I had, I've now counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. So just to summarise this first bit, to be found in Christ, God's favour can't be won. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to restore a broken relationship. Thank you, Malcolm. <laughs> he, he agrees anyway. <laughs> Someone wanted to know what amen meant the other day. Well, he agrees, so, so what? Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to restore a broken relationship. Jesus didn't say that he would show us a way. He said that he is the way. He didn't promise to teach us the truth. He said that he is the truth. Jesus didn't offer us the secrets to life. He said he is the life. The greatest life of all. The greatest life of all. That's found in Christ, resting in Christ. There is a sort of statement from the New Testament part of the Bible which some of you may recognise and some may not, but I just want to uh, say something to you. Jesus stood up on one occasion and he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. So what do we see here? First of all, there's an amazing dynamic going on here. What it's saying, what you can't find through material things, spiritually, you can find in me. I remember Fred saying years ago when he was preaching, happiness depends on happenings. Sometimes we do lots of things to keep us happy. Could be all sorts of things, spending money, having endless holidays. Well, no, we can't do that. No one could to do that, endless holidays, and all sorts of things. In order to gain a sort of happiness in our life or contentment and, and to be sort of good as a person, really, to help us feel good, if you like. But there's an amazing dynamic which only Jesus can give. And it's a bit like this. It's a bit like peace, contentment, and satisfaction all in one package. It's a spiritual experience which cannot be found anywhere in this world, not through material things, through money, through spiritual enlightenment, or for getting into any act of good deed or 
anything like pilgrimage or anything like that. It goes beyond that, it goes deeper. And it's only Jesus that can give it. And he says, come to me, all you who labor, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is, what is that rest? I've tried to explain it in a little way, but explanation is not sufficient. Because it tells us the peace of God goes beyond understanding. It's a spiritual thing, and it cannot be found anywhere else, only in Jesus. It's an amazing dynamic which cannot happen outside of Jesus. It's something which fills our life. When Jesus was here living and teaching amongst people, it was a toxic mix of religion and politics. I think we're suffering a bit from Brexit, each one of us. You, you hear someone say something, oh no, is it going to be like that? But the whole point of it, some businessmen are tearing their hair out, not wanting it. And so they're actually, there's a mix here of politics, isn't there? Uh, and other things which are going on. And somewhere religion gets mixed up. And if they, if they invite the bishops in on it and one thing and another. But when Jesus was here, the two were so entangled. And actually, the, the end result, as far as the people were concerned, for many people, it was just bringing them misery with all the rules and the laws of the Jewish religion. It was endless. They felt downtrodden. No one wanted to give them hope for a future. No one wanted to give them anything which would bless their lives. They'd say, oh, you're there, you're down there, stay there. But when Jesus came, when Jesus came, he wanted to raise people up from where they were. And like I said, give them a hope and a future. And that's no different this morning. We're here because Jesus wants to give us a hope and a future. He's not only a liberator, but in the point of this, he is, as the prophet Isaiah said, the servant, the anointed servant and of God. And I just want to see how that comes out in what Jesus said. So Matthew 11 says this, Come to me. The message wouldn't be any different this morning. It's come to me. All who labour and are heavy laden. So what about this life is troubling you? What about your home situation or your personal life or the worries up here or the worries of the future or the worries of the past? What, what is this that, that's getting you? He's, and actual fact is at that point that Jesus is saying, come to me. And he said, I will give you rest. We could say, if you come to me, I will make it all make sense for you, both now and for the future. You'll begin to understand it. You won't understand it if you try and work it out. You say, I can't work it out. God doesn't want you to work it out. 
You can't work it out. But Jesus can. And that's the point of contact that we can have with Jesus this morning. And not only will he give us rest, the rest will be for our souls. In other words, as a person, as a whole person, I can be made a whole person. Jesus can bring it all back together and make it sense of it for us. And I don't want to go into unpacking that, but I just want to say how Jesus presents himself as the greatest life of all in being a servant. In being a servant. The first word generally meant, the people understood this, about when Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is what he was saying. This is how the people would have understood it. He was a mild and friendly person or pleasant. That was the general meaning. So as people saw Jesus and they experienced him, and they sort of welcomed his presence. You know, you read people, don't you? Do you read people when they talk to you and relate to you? They would get this sense that he was a mild, friendly, and pleasant person. He's the son of God, remember? <laughs> He's the God of heaven. But that's what the interpretation of the word is, as Matthew wrote it. Secondly, it meant this. To find oneself in a stunted, humble, lowly position. So Jesus saying, I'm gentle and lowly in spirit. He just said, you'll see me as a stunted, humble, lowly person. So what was he doing here? What was the dynamic here? He was bringing himself to our level and to their level and saying, I want you to serve you where you are. How can I help? Isn't it lovely when someone says to you, how can I help? And Jesus is offering and showing us his life. He's saying to you this morning, how can I help? How can I serve you? How can I be to you all that you need? And so Jesus is seen a stunted, humble, lowly position because that's where many of the people were. That's where their lives were. That was the experience of life. But Jesus was there to lift them up from that. So he's a servant. Jesus said, he says, I am among you as one who serves. This is the greatest life of all. The greatest life of all. It was also a social and economic term for one who is in the position of a servant, which describes the man who has no property, and who has to earn his bread by serving others. The place of a servant. Jesus became humble and obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why? Because he wanted to serve people. He wanted to serve us and to bring the heart of God to every person. The servant. Amazing. And lastly, these words that Matthew used, the Old Testament prophets picked up, you know, on this word. 
And it was a word to describe those who were obedient to God and who bore their exile from the promised land with a quiet, hopeful trust in the Lord without a hint of anger. In other words, it describes a person who has absolutely no sense of entitlement. So Jesus presents himself as an amazing servant to people who need to be served. And Jesus responds to serve us today. He's saying to you, how can I help? Help you in your life. How can I help you? He's servant. The greatest life of all. There's just a couple of examples. There's a story about a woman. She came from a place called Samaria. And she had been ravaged by the breakup of five marriage relationships. It could well have been that she was rejected by each man for some supposed incompetence, because that was the culture. You, they could do that. Or maybe some flaw in her character, which was despicable to the men when they got to know her. Or maybe she was never given the opportunity to talk through or get counselling or other help, and she was now living with a man who wasn't the husband, so now she was probably only being used for the bit that men wanted. She's one of the persons that Jesus met. Now the amazing thing, how did he serve her? One thing we know, Jesus opened up the conversation. Probably something a Jew or a religious Jew would never do. He wouldn't open up a conversation with a woman. Secondly, he talked to her and related to her. You see the heart of the servant at work here, how he met with her at the well. And he demonstrated that he understood her. He didn't use her, he understood her. And as a servant, he served her in a, as an amazing counsellor. In Isaiah, we read about Jesus. He is, he is wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And amongst those amazing names is this word counsellor. Now, I, don't, I, I can't unpack that word for you and fully describe it to you. But in the way we would understand it, when Jesus met this woman at the well, he came to her as her counsellor. In other words, and what does a counsellor do? In simple terms, I believe, I may be talking off the top of my head here, but this is what it, as a, a counsellor would do. One of the qualities of counselling is wisely directing people to face truth about situations and themselves. And try to put themselves in the place of the needy and then guide them to help that is available. Now the amazing thing is, all those three things come together. Jesus came to her as this amazing counsellor because he understood her. And the amazing thing, Jesus, the greatest life of all, he understands you and he understands me so much better than we understand ourselves. He is an amazing, the amazing counsellor who understands us better than anybody else. And we can find that help in Jesus. 
So how did she shout this out? I found a man! You could hear the people saying, oh, not another one. <laughs> We've heard that all before. No, I found a man. Well, let's see what happens this time. I found a man, he told me all I ever did. And I just wanted someone to tell me that. And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's talking to you, he would have given you something that actually comes from inside. A spiritual experience you could find nowhere else. And at that point, he sat like a Samaritan at the well. Men wouldn't normally meet there. That was the culturally the woman's place. But he was there. He met her at the well. Isn't that amazing? You see how Jesus is serving? He became the servant, the anointed servant of God. How amazing. And I've got to stop there, but the last point is, as we see, Jesus is abiding in Christ. And if I don't say anything else to you this morning, it's the safe place to be, and it's the safest place to stay. Those Jesus said, come to me, he also said, follow me. And then he also said, abide in me. And sometimes we can sort of supposedly follow Jesus, but not, not abide in, not, not keep in touch with him and keep ahead of what he wants to do for us. We can, we can let it slip. But the challenge is this morning it's not so much where we are in this, but where he is in it. He is the vine, the true vine. The people he was speaking to would understand that to represent Israel, and you might not understand that. I don't fully understand it. But what he was saying, what God intended to do through Israel to bless the world has come to an end. I'm the true vine, and I'm the blessing for the world. And that's the only place to be, and it's the only place to stay. So all I can say to you today is, when you get into Jesus, stay in him. Abide. How, how's that worked out? It's not only by coming to church. It's this daily relationship with him, staying connected, following him. What do you want from me in my life? So we don't just see this person lording it over the people, doing the things which we don't like. We see someone who's saying, how can I help? I want to touch your life and bless you and bring you to a place that you never knew existed. <laughs> That's the amazing experience that we can have through knowing Jesus Christ as saviour, liberator, friend, do you want to know him? I'd be amazed if you don't. Because Jesus' life is the greatest life of all. Thank you. And God bless you. I don't know whether.